This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. While you're settling in, I'm Angela. My name is Angela Lamb, and I'm our executive pastor here at New Life. And it is my privilege, albeit a trembling one, to share with you this morning. (laughs) Um, This is uh, Ron and Kevin's usual gig, and uh, it has been a fun journey to dare greatly and share with you this morning. So uh, I'm going to take great comfort in the fact that you are my friends and that we're making eye contact. So if I haven't met you and we're not friends yet, I'm Angela, and we would make great friends. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Um, If you did not get a program, there are some in the back. If you did get a program, you're going to want to pull out your Start Here card. That's where we start here. And put in your name. If you're brand new, put in your email address. We like to be in touch, and that will actually tie in later as well in the morning. And uh, you will be given instructions on what to do with that thing. The other thing you might want to pull out of your programs this morning is a little note sheet for the sermon this morning. It's a place to jot down notes. I've put some rudimentary fill-in-the-blank things there, but there's plenty of space for you to jot in whatever comes to mind as we are hanging out this morning, talking about judging, conquering judging. Uh, before we dive into our verse for this morning, I'll just catch us up to speed in case you haven't been here um, before. We are finishing up, I think there's just one more after today, in a series called The Good Life. And I have loved this series. The whole premise of this thing is that God's given us guidance all the way through the Bible for how to live life. But the trick is, if we don't have God's perspective, then when we get that guidance, oftentimes in us it produces guilt that we feel bad, or that we begin to accidentally uh, just try to get our behavior under control because God's guidance says, hey, you're going to want to live life this way, but it's based on God's perspective. Without that perspective, then the guidance just becomes something that we are doing or just becomes something we feel guilty about not doing. So this whole message series is meant to give us God's perspective on some of the hottest topics in life. And I've already given you the spoiler alert for today. We're talking about judgment. That is a common amongst humankind. So the good life is about getting God's perspective. When you get God's perspective and God's guidance, his how-to on how to live life, you end up with the good life. That should then express the fact that this message should feel like good news to us. And I imagine that those of us who have done any amount of trying to eradicate judgment out of our lives, that when I say we're going to conquer judgment, that most of us had the, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing that. <laughs> because this is our real life. This is where we live. So I promise this morning, this is good news. It's not good news because I'm some amazing speaker that can take a really difficult topic and just manage to manipulate it into good news. It's good news because God's perspective on the topic is good news. I don't know if you know this, but God referred to the Bible as the gospel. That's a common word amongst Christians, the gospel. But I don't know if you know that the gospel actually means good news, that he intended everything he said to us for our guidance to feel like good news, to sit well on our hearts and on our skin. This morning should be no exception. So as we dive into this topic especially after I read this Bible verse, the first thing that we think is not generally like, hey, that's good news. I promise this morning as you settle in, look for the good news. I will do my best to be explicit in the good news, but look for the good news. So this morning should settle well on our hearts as we hear God's perspective with his how-to guidance to get the good life. 
So with that, let's, top it, let's pop into today's topic on judging. This comes out of Jesus' longest sermon that is on record, and this is uh, towards the end. Jesus' words. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you're gutsy enough to participate with me, which makes us feel like friends, how many of you look at that and can hear, if you wanted to, a threat? Okay. Okay, good. I'm not alone then. (laughs) When I used to read this verse, I was raised in the church. When I used to read this verse, I would hear, "Mm, mm mm-mm-mm don't judge. It was a threat. I could hear that threat in there. So this morning, we're going to try to get God's perspective because this is God's guidance. Hey, this is how life works. Don't judge. You're not going to like that because however you judge will be measured against you. This is God's guidance. But without God's perspective on the guidance, it just engenders guilt. Or if you hear a threat in there, it engenders um, uh, fear. So I have put down only three. There are tons of other places you could go throughout the Bible to find God's perspective on judgment and why he would say, you don't want to do that. That's not how this works in life. You do not want to go there. I've only put down three, but let's work our way through that. And then we're actually going to get to a solution for judgment as well. God's perspective on judgment is not that he is disappointed in you when you judge. He hurts for you. That's not even in your notes. That's just a freebie. The first perspective that he has on judgment, this is in your notes, is judging hurts us far more than it hurts them. I think lots of times because we feel guilty about judging, that when we hear God say, don't judge, that he's like, you're the bad kid, they're the good kid, stop judging them. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I look at the scripture now with a different perspective on God, and what I hear him saying is this, when you walk through life judging, you will naturally assume that other people are viewing you the same way. That's what I read now. When I have this perspective on God, what I hear him saying is, however you judge others is the assumption you will make about how they are judging you. And it hurts us significantly more than it hurts them. Most of us have enough character to keep our judgment filtered right here. So it's in here, it's brewing, it's bubbling, whoa, we have good character, so we shove that down so it doesn't end up hurting them out there. But two things happens in us that makes us hurt more than it actually makes them hurt. One, that brewing is miserable. That holding of breath, ugh, that just does not feel good. And two, when we walk around with that perspective about judging other people, it just automatically makes us feel as though they are doing the same thing to us. So I believe when God says, don't judge, that measure is not going to feel good when it turns back around on you, that's not a threat. It's not even the kind of warning that's like, I told you not to judge. Ah, you judged. It's not even a warning in that sense. It's a warning in you're not going to like how this works. You're just not. It hurts you more than it hurts them. So that's God's first perspective on judgment is let's save us the pain. The second perspective that I see in the Bible about God's view of judgment is that judgment renders us impotent to facilitate change. You're welcome that I didn't make you fill in the word uh, impotent. (laughs) I actually even asked the the woman that puts these notes together, can I say impotent at church? Like, is that allowed? (laughs) Kevin's our usual speaker. He always has something inappropriate to say, so you guys can handle it. He's warmed you up. Kevin, if you're watching this podcast, I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Uh, 
the thing is, for a lot of us, when we feel this sense of judgment, we get tricked into believing that we're actually trying to help that person. That someone is doing something that is damaging or destructive and we're trying to help them. And so we actually feed into what we think is evaluation. I'm just evaluating the circumstances so that I can help them. The problem is when we sit in judgment, it actually removes our ability to actually help with change. This whole um, sermon series Kevin mentioned was based on a book called The Good and Beautiful Life. That's also not in your notes, but if you're a reader, I love to read. So if, you, if you're a reader, I would write down The Good and Beautiful Life. That author says that the difference, what is the difference between evaluating and judging? He would say evaluation is the natural process of just assessing and, and looking for patterns and connections and dots and how things work. That's a perfectly natural part of how God has intended our brains to work. But judgment is the process of casting a negative evaluation on someone while not standing in solidarity with them. That when we stand over here, removed from the circumstances, removed from the solutions, removed from the situation, and we cast a negative assessment in, that that's where it becomes damaging. How many of us have been subject to someone's helping words of truth? Ah? I see you back there. There's like two over here. We're writing, furiously. Uh, It hurts. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. But how many of us have had someone come alongside us and the very same truth became words of life? That when we heard those words, it was like, that is what is not working. Thank you. That's so helpful for me to know what I can do. What is the difference between that? Both parties who spoke to me during that time were evaluating my circumstances. Both parties were. The difference is this one stood over here and tossed in truth. This one came up beside me and in solidarity spoke to me. And honest to goodness, if we're going to be really nuts and bolts about it, they listened almost as much, if not more, than they spoke. They looked to understand And I know we're not into the solutions yet, but I'll just toss a solution in here. If you are finding yourself evaluating someone and you're concerned about whether or not judgment is in your heart, I would switch your gears to listening. The truth will come out. I would switch. When we get into solidarity, we just wonder what it's like to live in their shoes. We just wonder what they're experiencing. When we get into solidarity with someone, the truth does come out because we love them dearly. But one of the things that I have learned through, sadly, my own mistakes, is that if I am too far away from a circumstance that I know that I can't actually come in here and help, they wouldn't, like, that's inappropriate. We're not that close. So if I try to come in here, that would be awkward for us. If I'm that far away, then I'm probably too far away to actually assess what's going on in the circumstances anyway. If I'm too far away to be part of the solution, I'm probably too far away to be accurate. And therefore, my assessment is not useful. In fact, it's probably just causing that brewing thing to happen where I'm having to kick in uh, character. But instead, I can just let that go. And I can pray that their loved ones will circle around them. So the difference between evaluation and judgment is a matter of proximity in your heart, in solidarity. And if you're wondering whether or not judgment or evaluation is happening, assess your proximity. So that's God's second Uh, perspective on judgment, where he is not disappointed in us, he hurts for us for how that feels. The third perspective, before we get to solutions, is that judging makes it very difficult to hear his voice of grace. 
I know that we spend a lot of time at church talking about God's grace and God's kindness, but have you ever stopped to think that God could have set up his system of religion where we paid him back? That he started with grace, like, I'm going to do this self-sacrificing thing for you, but then you can spend the rest of your life paying me back? He could have set a system up for that. He could have set it up where once we realize, oh, man, life is not working and i got to do something wrong, oh, I think God has something to offer here, that we could begin to earn it, and after we had earned it a certain amount, then he would bestow upon us his grace. He could have set the system up any way that he wanted to, but he set it up on free grace, that he would first step in with grace, and then second, let it be free, that we were not paying him back. I love this concept, but in our human world, it is really hard to picture. If you wrong me the first time, okay, they didn't mean to, that's fine. If you wrong me the second time in the same exact way, mm, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That is how we function in our human world. God does not function that way. That judgment, when we stand without solidarity, when we stand evaluating each other's and we constantly feed this harsh voice, it makes it extremely difficult to hear God's voice of grace when he says, I'll forgive you 70 times 7. I'll forgive you infinitely. I will forgive you free. I'm not disappointed in you. I love you dearly. These words aren't words of threat. These words are words of freedom. When we practice this judgment step, he hurts for us because we begin to become unfamiliar with his voice of grace. So his three perspectives on judgment is that it hurts us more than it hurts the other people, that it renders us impotent to actually facilitate change in our loved one's lives, and then thirdly, that it makes it very difficult for us to recognize his voice of grace. He would want us to practice our voice, uh, the voice of grace in our heads, so that when he speaks in, it's like, oh, I recognize you. That sounds familiar. So with that, when God says, don't judge, you don't want to judge, that's not going to work well for you, it begs the question why we struggle with it so bad, so bad. And, and if I could just be brutally honest for a second, the church is sometimes worse at judging than the other people outside of the church. Sometimes we are the harshest voice on ourselves and on other people. So let's talk for a second about what actually goes on in our hearts. And this is where we're going to get to the solution. Because I would guess that every single person in this room at some point has had the thought, oh, I'm judging. I should not be judging. And whether or not you hear God's voice saying, don't judge, or whether you just can feel in your spirit, this does not feel good. This does not feel right. I would guess that every single one of us has had that thought, oh, I'm judging. I should not be judging. And then guilt kicks in. And then that's the end. And we hope that the guilt will be enough to change. But God offers transformation in a different way. So I actually want to press into the solutions this morning. And this is where the good news comes in. Because for most of us, I think we think a better filter here is the best we could hope for. That's the best we could hope for. That I can't seem to stop this system of judgment that comes on in my heart. So I'll just build tighter uh, filters on my mouth. But I think we can actually do better than that. And I'd like to talk about that this morning. So God's solution for judgment, I'm giving us three options. You could do any one of the three and take a step forward, or you could do all three. That doesn't matter to me. But God's solution for judging is actually not about other people, but is about you. Know that you are worthy. 
That doesn't seem like a direct connect. I get that. But if you go back to God's perspective on judgment, he is wanting us not to judge because of for what it does in us. And I would say that's the way that this works. When I look at other people and I have a harsh inner voice on them, I have a harsh inner voice on me. But God's entire gospel was based on the premise that he would give us the free gift of grace. But do you realize that God refers to you as friend, as holy priesthood, as chosen ones? And at one point in the Old Testament, when he was predicting Jesus's death on the cross, which I don't know if you know anything about crucifixion, but in a crucifixion, the hands were put out on the cross and a nail was put through the center. In Isaiah 40, I love this. You might want to write this down. That might be someone's um, future tattoo. In Isaiah 40, (laughs) this verse says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Justin this morning in communion said, picture Jesus on the cross that he was looking at you in his mind. He's engraved you on the palm of his hands. You are precious. When you and I understand our value, and our worth, it makes us so much less likely to have to mentally judge other people. So many of us are looking for relief from a sense of inferiority or insecurity, and that's what causes a harsh inner voice towards other people. Well, at least I'm doing it better than that. At least I figured that out. The truth is, I think God's first step for us would be stop thinking about them and think a little bit about you. And I get that that sounds counterculture to church because in church, lots of times we get the be selfless, be selfless. But the truth is, if we don't understand our value, we have very little to give others, including grace, that we need to understand that we are worthy. I'd like to read a couple of verses. Ephesians 2, 4 is in your notes. Ah, For we are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, but I do not feel like a masterpiece most days. I feel like more like a piece of work. (laughs) Almost the same. Um, We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The next couple of verses are not in your notes, but you can jot down the address if you want to. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Romans 8.39, neither height nor depth nor anything can separate us from the love of God. And then Isaiah 40.16 is the one I mentioned before, that I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. For those of you that know me, know that I like to go antiquing. And I'm going to tell you a little story about antiquing that relates to worthiness, because when I look at my whole piece of work business and I think, ah, masterpiece, masterpiece, master, like, I got to remember that. I'm a masterpiece. So that I could chill out a little bit about insecurities and stop judging other people. I struggle to see past my weaknesses, past my stumbling blocks, past my disappointments, that I'm disappointed in myself, and see worthiness there. But I got a lesson in worthiness to the tune of the loss of my confidence, but dignity, but you'll get this in a second. So I love to go antiquing. I love to see old things. I love to think of the history of something. But the truth is I could never call myself an antiquer because I have zero training at all and I have no ability to evaluate accurately. So I look at something and I see great value and I might love it sentimentally because it just caught my eye and it speaks to me, but I have, I learned, zero ability to evaluate something's um, worth. Jason and I were downsizing when we first got married and I needed to sell off some things and I have quite a few antiques that I've gathered over the years. My most precious antique at the time 
was this gorgeous piano. It was a nice red uh, upright piano with beautiful curves. It just was a spectacular piece of work. It did not hold a tune, but I didn't mind anymore. Like you could get it tuned up, and I, but I didn't mind. That was like, I don't have any skill on the piano anyway, so it didn't matter to me. It was gorgeous. However, it weighed a million pounds. We could not move it ourselves. So every time we moved, we had to pay $400 to have someone come move this thing. But that was no problem because this is a valuable antique and it's worth it. This thing has lasted through history. It's going to last through me. So it was no problem that I had to pay three times to move that thing $400 each time. But when we went to downsize, I needed to bring in an actual antique appraiser to tell me the value of my various things so that I could know what I should be selling off. And it was time to part with my favorite piano because we were moving to an apartment. I could not be playing bad music on an untuned piano on a wall that shared with other people. That was not a good neighbor. Hey, want to come to church with me? No, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> so... It was time to get rid of it. So I brought an appraiser in, and I had a whole bunch of antiques that I wanted to show them, but my my masterpiece was this piano. So in the appraiser comes, and it's the first one, because I want to show him I know my stuff about antiques so he doesn't undercut me. Ta-da! This is my piano. He's like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's opening things and looking at things, and I'm thinking he's, you know, impressed. He's like, hmm, you're going to have to pay somebody to take this off your hands. She has a name, you know. (laughs) So I'm like, I am reeling from this news. So I head out to the other antiques and we get to my least favorite antique. Literally the least favorite thing that I own because it's ugly. It's kind of dinged up. It doesn't, it's not practical. Like an antique, as much as I love it and sentimentally, it better be practical. It doesn't, it had teeny tiny little drawers and lame. That thing was my most valuable antique in my house, which for our move's sake was like a marvelous thing because I got good money to get rid of something I didn't really like anyway. (laughs) However, (laughs) antiquing taught me something. Who has the right to tell you what something is worth? You and I look at ourselves and we see our weaknesses and our disappointments and we think, how can we be worthy? But who has the right to actually say that you're worthy? somebody who knows crap about it. That's what I learned that day with that antiquer. This guy, no matter how much I love this piano or no matter how much I don't really love that vanity, this guy has the right to tell me what it's worth. And sure enough, when I went on Craigslist to try to sell off my antiques, guess what went first? Guess what went for the most money? The person that has the right to tell you worth is the person that knows something. When we have a God of the universe who created the universe, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who has the right to tell you your worth? So this week, if this is one of the solutions that you want to press in, if you recognize that you struggle with a sense of worthiness and that's what causes you to think harsh thoughts on other people to try to settle that sense of insecurity, I would beg you this week to just spend a little time thinking about that question. Who has the right to tell you your worth? Because I think instinctively, we think we have the most right. Because you can't see my heart. So if you're a big fan of me and you say, Angela, you're totally worthy. This is why I think you're worthy. I don't believe you. Because I look inside and I see more weaknesses than clearly you can see. I think instinctively, we think we have the right to determine our worth. But you actually don't have the most right. The God of the universe who died for you because he loves you and he sees your value, has said you are worthy. I would love it if everyone in this room 
spent some time this week just settling on the truth of that. How can that be true? I do not think our infinite and intelligent God is bothered by our complaints and our confusion. I think it would be awesome if this week, how can you say that I'm worthy? How can you say that? And, and just wrestle that thought out a little bit. The second option, if you'd like to kill this judgment thing out for good, the second option I would say is real, highly related to the same thing. Accept your weaknesses. I know. I know. I said the first point before this point, so hopefully this is a little bit more palatable that we can actually handle this. But accept your weaknesses. I love this verse from Romans. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, or I read self-righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for you in this. While you were still sinning, he died for you. You are still actively making choices that damage your relationship between you and God. And he's like, I got this and died. If he can accept your weaknesses, who are we to say, no, no, God, no, you don't know what you're doing. I am really screwed up. If we could accept our weaknesses, it would begin the process of us being able to understand how we're wor- we are worthy. Brene Brown, again, for those of you who read Whoever is up here is just going to talk to the people out there that are like them. So sorry about that. If you're a reader, I would highly recommend the author Brene Brown. Even if you are not a reader, Brene Brown is spelled B-R-E-N-E Brown, the color brown. If you're not a reader, she's got boatloads of YouTube videos. I would highly recommend this author. There is something in the way that she views people that has been like food for my soul. If you look at this point and you think, oh, no, I cannot accept my weaknesses, I would like to introduce you to my friend Brene Brown and begin the process of enjoying the fullness of who you are with your weaknesses. She has a concept where she describes the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the thing that I feel when I have made a mistake. Oops, I was supposed to do that. I made a mistake. I feel some guilt. Shame is the process of thinking that I am a mistake that I am flawed, that when we make a mistake, instead of, oops, I was supposed to do that, okay, I got to go get that done, that shame is the process of thinking, this is so like me. I'm always doing this. This is totally typical. When we practice that kind of language inside, it's just so easy to do it to others. If we would begin to accept our weaknesses, we could then begin to feel that worthiness that God gives us. The last step is the a killer first step. If those two were like, dude, that is, no, I'm not ready for that. This last step, I would just love to challenge you to take it on. The third solution is shut down the shame storms. If you and I could just for one week relish in the awesomeness that you are, can't we be honest just for a second? You're pretty fantastic. Can I get an amen? You're pretty fantastic. All right. Turn to somebody that you know and say, you're pretty fantastic. Like, all right. Come on. Dude, don't you wish that A, you could believe the loved one who just said that to you? And B, if you could believe them that they would follow you around all day, I think you're fantastic. You're killing it. (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) 
I mean, heck, I have a few loved ones who know my own journey with shame who just text me, you're pretty fantastic, and I love it. I eat it up, but I don't eat it up because I believe I'm pretty fantastic. I am still in the process of trying to accept these very steps that I am saying, this will help you. I'm in the process of that. So I choose to believe that their words are truth because the first thing that pops up when they say you're pretty fantastic is I think, well, from your perspective, I can see a couple of things that you can see, but you have no idea about this. I immediately undercut it because I'm carrying around shame. If one week we could just relish the fact that God thinks you're pretty fantastic, as is right now, it could begin to kill the shame storms. Can you picture what I'm saying about a shame storm? It's like that swirly thing. You just can't step forward. Like you were walking in life and then you made a mistake and then you're just stuck and it's just swirling ah, blah, blah, over and over. You, you knew, is that the amen I hear? <laughs> you know what that feels like. If we could shut down the shame storms, I'm going to give you a Bible verse to back this up because for some of you, this is a like, what? So I'm going to give you a Bible verse, Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Am I the only one that is like, how can you say that, God? How can he say, I don't know, I don't know, but that's his job. This is his book, this is his life, you are his child. Start arguing with him. I don't think he's intimidated by you. (laughs) Please die. (laughs) I am pretty fantastic. (laughs) God can be in the presence of your rubbish. For a long time, I thought because God was perfect that he was uncomfortable being in my rubbish with me. I had a shame storm, and I had to get out of the shame storm so that I could then get back into God's presence because I was pretty sure there was no place for God in my shame storm. When I began to accept my weaknesses, when I began to think I could be pretty fantastic, I began to let God into the shame storm. He is not bothered by your crap. He loves you and likes being with you even amidst your weaknesses. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I'd like to do just just to wrap up, I'm going to do something a little unorthodox. I promise I won't call on anybody. I won't whatever. I'm going to have you close your eyes. If you would be so kind, just settle in. I'm going to read a few sentences very slowly. You could consider this a meditation exercise that we're just going to do in group setting. But if we could leave this week with any crumb of I'm pretty fantastic, then we can fight those shame storms. We can have the guts to invite God into those moments, and we can begin to feel that sense of worthiness that will cure judgment out of our lives. So I'd like you to think of these sentences that I'm going to read and find your version of them. I think you'll see what I mean. You are enough. Now. As is. You have faced incredible odds. You're brave. You show courage. You work hard. You care deeply. You sacrifice big time. 
You have failed, but you've also gotten back up. You work to live with integrity. You strive for that. You have solid values. You have persevered. My friend, you are enough. You are pretty fantastic. God, with their eyes closed, I just want to ask you to resonate truth into our hearts. The worship team could not have done a better job of preparing our hearts for this particular message with those particular songs, those words. Thank you for inspiring artists to express to us things that we have trouble believing. This week, as we go about a life full of mistakes and our weaknesses on full display, I pray that we would learn to hear your voice say, I think you're fantastic. I do not believe that we will be pressing into pride this week. I believe we will be shutting down Satan's tactic. That if we could actually hear you say, I see that weakness, I still think it's just a mistake, and that you, who you are, who I made you to be, who you are right now is pretty fantastic. If we could do that, we would have so little impetus to judge others. And in fact, when we do see them make a mistake, that we would actually just see it as a mistake because we've learned to accept mistakes in ourselves. It would be so easy to just hand them that, gosh, I've been there. I can totally resonate with that. Judgment would be gone. We would not be trying to just employ bigger filters on our mouths. It would be gone. God, I pray that you would help us resonate truth with these words that we could begin to hear a new voice that says, you are pretty fantastic. And if we can't hear you, I pray that you give us the guts to argue. Give us the guts this week to say, I don't understand this. How can you say this? And that we would just enjoy the process of engaging with you. Give us the guts. I, I, that's a scary prospect, that you are not afraid of our muck and that you are not intimidated by our arguments, but that you love because you think we're pretty fantastic. You love to just talk. Just hang out and talk and share ideas. I pray that you would fill our hearts this morning that we would go and enjoy a week of a different kind of self-talk, a different kind of voice heard from you, and that we would just walk away from judgment because we just don't need it. We're just not drawn to it anymore. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being game for that. On your uh, sermon notes and your connect card are three application points. I'm just going to cover those really quick because they're going to totally tie in with what we just talked about. Step one, if you want to try this on for size, one week experiment of just call it, uh, I will not saturate in shame. I'm going to try to shut down shame storms this week and I'm going to make some mistakes in that process and I'm not going to go about shame there either. If you mark that on your card tonight, I will email you a link to one of Brene Brown's videos that is three ways to shut down shame storms. Because for most of us, we have gone into battle with a shame storm and we don't know how to get out of it. So she's going to give very clear how-tos on how to do that. So if you mark that one on your card, I'll email you tonight a link to that video. The second option to try on this idea of worthiness is to do a journal um, about one of your weaknesses, but do it from a, a sense of sympathy. 
Think about somebody that you love, that you believe the best in. If you saw this weakness in them and they were crying and they were in a shame storm, what would you say to them? Just try it on for size. For me, my thoughts go so fast, I can't catch them. So I have to do some journaling to actually help me slow my thoughts down. So that's why I'm recommending, give it a shot. Journal about one of your weaknesses with some self-sympathy. And the last one is saturate in the concept of being worthy. Ron just recently wrote a talk about worthiness that I thought was incredible. It's not very long. It'll just take you maybe 10 minutes to read it. But if you actually mark that one tonight, I will send you that document as well. Since you have the ability this week to just wrestle with this concept of worthiness. No matter whether you try one of these or not, and the premise of this whole message, who cares? Do it if you want to. If you want to, do it. If not, enjoy this week with God, because you're pretty fantastic as is. Thank you, friends. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.